As you can tell in the slides behind me, today is, or tonight is a special service. Some of the young men are going to be leading our thoughts uh, in some scripture readings, some songs, and some lessons. Um, without further ado, Nathan, if you will start off. Our first song will be number 35, O Worship the King. came to pass after these things that in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so that they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who, confined, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each, man, each man's dream with his own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told the dream to Joseph, and they said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and the vine, and the vine were free branches as it was as it, though it budded, blossoms, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. When Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed them in the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this, this is the interpretations of it. The free branches are free days, and within three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put... And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me whenever, whenever is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of his house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should have put me in this. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful for all the many things that you do for us, God. The things you do for us that we have truly in no way deserved, God. We're thankful for being able to be here tonight to worship you freely, God. We know that so many people around the world don't have the same freedoms that we do. We have a very special service tonight, God, a special service in our hearts. We have a lot of young men that are participating tonight. We are thankful for them and their courage. It takes a lot to get up in front of everyone to 
have the bravery and the boldness to do what you tell us to do in your word, God. And we're, we're so thankful for everyone here tonight who's participating, all of them. Bless them and everything that they do, the, the things that they're doing tonight. Help them to have the courage to get up here and to do it the right way that you would have us to do it. We ask that you be with the three speakers. Be with them and help them to have a ready recollection of everything they've prepared, God. Help them to deliver it in a way that they're confident and they are confident in your word that they've prepared the message from and that we can understand it and use it in our daily lives to serve you to the best of our ability, God. We're, we're so thankful for the weather you've blessed us with, the, the beautiful beautiful creation of this world that you've given us. We see, look outside, we see the leaves that are falling, the wind, the, the changing colors outside. We're so thankful for everything, God. Help us to take our lives and look at them the right way and see that you created and blessed us with everything and never to take anything for granted, God. We ask that you be with those who could not be here tonight, the sick, the ones who are struggling with physical illness, God, be with them. And we know that you're the great physician. We know that you can take care of them. And Please bless them and help them to have a speedy recovery. We ask that you be with those who are also spiritually sick, the ones who are choosing to not be here, the ones who are choosing to live their lives the wrong way. Maybe they're going through troublesome times or whatever it is, and they're not making the right decisions. They're not looking to you the way they should. God, be with them and help them to be cut to the heart and help them to realize that they need to look to you in everything that they do, God. And we are just so thankful for everything you do for us, and we are most thankful for your son, who came down to this world, who left heaven, who did everything he could to just to save us, God, and we're so thankful for him and the sacrifice he made, and if it wasn't for him, then we wouldn't have an eternal home in heaven with you, and we're thankful for the sacrifice he did, dying on the cross to save us and forgive us our sins, and help us live our lives the right way that we can be more like him every single day. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The next song this evening will be number 224, 224, There's a Rainbow in the Cloud.
I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of the prophecy in understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, then that which is in part will be. Number 97, 97, oh, to be like thee. I would like to thank the elders for giving me this opportunity to share with you this short lesson tonight. My topic for tonight will be the evidence and results of faith. Many things are accepted and acted upon by faith. Before any of us were born, the pyramids in Egypt were built. We are not around at that time, so we have no immediate knowledge of it. Yet, we believe that some intelligent people built them because they show evidence of intelligent design and construction. Using that same idea in spiritual realm brings us to similar conclusions. Before we were born, the universe was created by God. We were not around at that time, so we have no immediate knowledge of it. Yet, we believe that some intelligent being created it because it shows the evidence of intelligent design and construction. That intelligent being is God. As we come to know him, his character, his power, and his wisdom, 
We have faith in him that he is able to do all that he promises. Let's flip to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. In Ephesians 3 and verse 20, speaking of God, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And Romans 4 and verse 21 says that Abraham was fully conceived that what he had promised he was able to perform. The evidence of one's faith in God is being obedient to his will. James 2 and verse 17 states, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith helps us to obey when we do not understand the why and how of things commanded. Faith is a trust that assures one that he will receive a promise, though the means of fulfillment is not completely obvious because he has confidence in the one who, is, who revealed it. The evidence of faith is seen in the actions of the faithful as we see in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Let's flip to, the, let's flip to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it states, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's also look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds, were fa- the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Let's look at some examples of the results of a strong, obedient faith. First, the cleansing or purifying of the heart. The Apostle Peter, in reference to the Gentiles and how they were acceptable to God without being circumcised, said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles should should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows our heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith as we see in Acts 15, 7-9. <clears throat> Next is justification before God. In Romans 5 and verse 1, and Romans 3 and verse 28, we see this. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The next, the next example we see is salvation. Let's flip to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8-9. through It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Then there is great boldness and confidence. When addressing the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul said, Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. By faith we stand. As we see in Second Corinthians chapter one and chapter one and verse twenty-four, the next example we see is life. Let's turn to Romans one and verse seventeen. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just live by faith. And in Galatians chapter two and verse twenty, we read, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live." In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then there is the protection from the evil one. As part of the whole armor of God, the believer takes up the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, as we see in Ephesians 6 and verse 16. And finally, triumph. We see in John chapter 5 and verse 4, where it says, And thus, and thus is the victory that has overcome the world in our faith. As we have seen in the last few minutes, faith in our lives is extremely important. Having a good faith leads to having a good hope, which Christopher will be talking to us later tonight. So my question for y'all tonight is, is your faith in the right spot with God? next reading tonight will be from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. The next reading will be Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation through, through we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Hello, everybody. I am so glad you can make it out tonight. And tonight, I want to talk to you about hope. As I was preparing myself for this lesson, for this last month, I've been struggling with a few questions. It was about myself and this lesson. I just kept thinking that something was missing. And I was asking these questions about, well, does it flow correctly? Well, is it long enough? Or am I speaking the truth? All these questions were just piling up in my mind, and I was beginning to doubt myself. But then I realized I just needed hope. I have been reading through scriptures and studied it enough that I believe I can present it to you today. So I hope that I am able to do it this evening. I would like to ask you a question. First, what is hope? To answer that question, I would first like to tell you what hope is not. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 24, Paul tells the Christians that if they see it, there is no reason to hope for it. For it says that now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Paul is basically asking, well, why do you need hope for something if you already have it? So there is no need to hope for it. Well, now let's answer, what is hope? If you look in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it defines hope as a desire accompanied by an expectation of or belief in fulfillment. When we have hope, we want something to happen, and we fully expect it to happen. And this links back to faith about what Luke said. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it states, Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We can't see eternal life, but we believe in it. And we believe that it's there. And after our time on earth, that it is complete. And because of that faith, we have hope. Hope, the confident expectation of and longing for the promised blessings of righteousness. The scriptures often speak about hope as anticipation of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that I have hope in him. Paul reminded the Christians in Rome, Romans that if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If you turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 25... Sorry, I'm a bit of a slow turner. (laughs) 
we are just thankful that God has provided a living hope to all believers about a heavenly inheritance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3 and 5, it talks about an inheritance. It says, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, now I want to talk to you about why hope is vital. Sometimes it gets difficult to see hope in a bad situation. For example, has your parents ever asked you to clean your room and when they come back, it better be spotless? I mean, talk about hopelessness. <laughs> but the Bible says that true hope is unseen. And if we can be hopeful for one thing, like our salvation, which is also unseen, then we can be hopeful for some other things too, like my room being clean. So you see, we need hope for everyday life in different situations, whether it be for someone else's sake, such as wishing they made it home safe, or someone is sick and you wish they get well. Hope assures us that we can be confident in it because it is the law of God. And true hope comes from God because he is the creator of all things, including hope. It also says that hope does not disappoint. If you turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 through 5, Paul had just written, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured on, out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Well, now, I want to talk to you about what kind of hope there is. Sadly enough, there are those who have no hope. Where they don't believe in God, they believe that this life on earth is all there is and therefore have no reason to want to seek things further above. But there are also those who have false hope. Well, they might trust in him, believe in him. They might even love him, but they don't follow his word, which they would be doing if they did have those feelings. But there are those with true hope. They have faith in the Lord, and they have hope that he will keep his promises, and they love him and do what his word says to do. But true hope also comes from the knowledge that God cannot lie. If you will turn, to me, will turn with me real quickly to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, verse 17 through 20 says, 
Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having been come to high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, now I want to talk to you about what it takes to have true hope. Of course, these are just one or two of many things, but first and foremost, you need joy. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, it says you need to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. We rejoice because of the love of Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. And you also need patience. Again, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It talks about it again. You don't have to turn to all these verses because I'm about to read a lot. <laughs> but in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 24, Jeremiah writes, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And again, we need to wait for the Lord and have hope that he will keep his promises. For he has a plan for you to hope. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, I would like to close by reading Second uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse sixteen and, eight, and through eighteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing; yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. Therefore, we have faith in God and hope of eternal life through Jesus. So I would like to ask you to help us to develop a love for God and to be obedient to his word. Number 361. I'd like to thank the elders for this opportunity to get to talk to y'all. 
The themes that me, Luke, Chris were given were faith, hope, and love. And they got faith and hope, and I got love. And I have five points I'd like to share with y'all on this topic. <clears throat> so the first point is, what is love? <clears throat> the definition that Merriam-Webster gives us is a quality or feeling of strong or constant affection for and dedication to another. <clears throat> we also get a definition of love from the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. <clears throat> it says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It, it does not seek its own benefit, it is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. <clears throat> this verse is talking about what's the definition of love. And in the Bible, we get four different types of love. Philia, eros, storgi, and agape. Philia is friendship, like David and Jonathan from the Bible. They were knit to each other's soul. Eros is the romantic love we get, and that is uh, between a husband and wife. <clears throat> Storgy is family, like kids to parents, and all brothers, sisters. And then agape is the sacrificial and godly love. <clears throat> That's Jesus dying for us and God sending Jesus for us. The two main types of love we hear about in the Bible are philia and agape. In, in the passage mentioned above, we hear about philia and agape. The second point I'd like to bring to you tonight is God and Jesus loving us. There are, se there are several passages that mention God loving us, and the main one we generally think of is John 3.16. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever, so everyone that believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then John 15, 13, which goes hand in hand with that. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 12, actually. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay, lay down his life for his friends. <clears throat> and over in Romans 5, 8, uh, it talks about this some more. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans eight thirty nine, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These passages talked about are the infinite love that God and Jesus had for us, that Christ would die on the cross to save mankind. <clears throat> the third point I'd like to make is the vice versa, us loving the Lord. We are told all throughout scriptures to love, the, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength to be well-pleasing to him. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In Matthew 22, 37, and 38, and John 14, and 5, says the same thing, wait, no, uh, Matthew 22, 37, 38, 
says the same, it reinstates, Jesus reinstates what Moses was giving the children of Israel with the commandments. It says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can also love the Lord by doing what he says. Over in John 14, 15, <clears throat> Jesus is wrapping up what he's saying by stating this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Plain and simple. The fourth point I'd like to make is us loving one another and our enemies. We're told to love our neighbors and enemies as ourselves. <clears throat> in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is telling us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Then over in Matthew 5, 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is telling us not to wish evil on anyone and love our enemies. <clears throat> in John 13, 34, it reinstates what Matthew 40, uh, 5, 43, and 44 say. <clears throat> um, over in 1 John 4, 7 through 12, this is a longer passage, so I'm going to get through it. <clears throat> it's very important because if we love, it depends on if we are or are not with God. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. <clears throat> and the fifth and final point I'd like to make tonight is what not to love. <clears throat> we're, we're told many things not to love in the Bible, but the main three that I came across were not to love evil things. In 1 Corinthians 13, five through six, it says, it does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. <clears throat> we are also told not to love pride because it comes before the fall. In Matthew six, five, it states, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that you will be able, so that so that they will be seen by the people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, it tells us why we should not love pride. It says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling." <clears throat> In 1 John 2.15 and Matthew 19, in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, we're told not to love earthly things because they're temporary. 
First John 2.15 states, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes are in the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. <clears throat> the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of, the, of God continues to live forever. Then in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> in conclusion, true love is serving God from the heart. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, which I will read in a minute, the summary of it is the wise man had everything he thought he wanted in life, including property and richest property and wives. He realized at the end it was all just grasping at the wind. He found the true meaning of life, and it, and it was true service to God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. The conclusion, when everything has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. <clears throat> because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. <clears throat> as, as we've seen, a true love for God will lead, to, will lead to be obedient to God. Have you been obedient to God and loving him the way you should? If not, please come forward as we stand. Please come forward.